everybody want to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty, the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks. I'm here with my co-host, Zakia Shaw. How you doing, Zakias? I'm doing good, brother. Hey. As you know, <laughs> we had some people, uh, some friends of ours kind of mocking us in our intro, which was kind of funny, but mm-hmm. so I had to emphasize the brother there. Uh, but life's good, man. Life's good. Just got past Memorial Day weekend, got to spend it with the family and really felt like I got to recharge. You know what I'm saying? What about you? I'm doing well, man. Another day. Another day. Another day. Yep. Yes, I'm ready sir. to go. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm super excited for this podcast today. Uh, we're bringing some very important individuals. We've got another one in the room with us, but we are interviewing one here. I want you to introduce yes. who we have. Yeah, so today we have somebody that comes from Chicago and is an artist at heart and many different forms of art and has a true story that I feel that a lot of people need to hear. And I think that a lot of people can take some um, advice from him on how to move and especially in today's society. So today we are bringing on the owner of Wake, Tyler Blake. Welcome, brother. Welcome, welcome. How's it going, my man? I'm good, man. This is the first podcast I think I've done in a while without my wife. You know what I mean? That's crazy. We working, you know. We working. We work together. People pair us together in everything we do. I appreciate this, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I know she appreciates it as well on, on her end. This is for sure. This, this is new, but this is dope. Yeah. We talked about having both of you guys on and something that you mentioned as well. And aside from us not ever really having two other guests on at the same time, I think it's important as individuals, you know, to share your story and share um, the things that you go through and have gone through in your perspective. You know what I mean? Because when you get married, a lot of times people do pair you together because you are a pair, you know, for life. But at the same time, you're an individual, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's important to be an individual and be able to coexist together. Yeah. So that's why we wanted you guys to be separate. Yep. I'm excited for it, man. You dropping excited. bombs already, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had to come we, prepared. We yep. barely five minutes in. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Well, that was a good one right there. I appreciate that. Yeah. We're going to jump into this. You know what I'm saying? I want to see and hear, really, I've heard a little bit about it, but for you to share uh, with our viewers a little bit about you, kind of where you come from, and really how you got to where we're at today. Man, the intro to this podcast is fire, man. <laughs> you said I would like it. Yeah. I rock with it. I appreciate <laughs> a thousand that. thousand yeah. percent. I rock, you know what I mean, with the intro to the podcast, man, because overstepping poverty, when I just think about that, Daquan, man, like, there's so much purpose in that. There's so much purpose in not being defined by what you came from. And I think 
that's where we find some of our pain too and overstepping poverty and people wanting to, you know, marginalize us Yeah, in the words of yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because even at my shittiest moments in life, I still knew who I was. It's easy to be defined by a moment, but in overstepping that, I think that's something that we have to do. We have to go inside to do that. You know, we have to dig within. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, just hearing the intro to you guys' podcast coming from someone like, you know, Ye from the south side of Chicago. Uh, my granny, her house uh, was like actually, her house had to be anywhere. Because he was on, uh, he was over there on, on South Shore, on uh, 79th and South Shore. Uh, my granny, she was on 89th and East, uh, 83rd and East End. So I grew up on 83rd. You know, I, I spent okay. a lot of time living with my granny. Right. So Ye was literally like, a mile or two, you know, blocks away. Yeah. A few blocks away, even though I was a child, uh, you know, he way older than me. Right. But still he was making a lot of his, you know, major strides in the industry around the time I was like nine, 10, something like that. And you were in Chicago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important to have people to look at because uh, while the world might point at them, you can have empathy for, you know, people, when you share those same experiences, you know, or similar experiences, we all have different experiences. But right. from the south side of Chicago, I'm kind of going off topic here. No, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're on topic. I'm going, I'm going way I feel out. like that yeah. had a big impact on I'm just over here about to start preaching. Please. You know, just yeah. kind of big on how you grew up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kanye had an influence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? On, yeah. on what you do and how you do things. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when you're teenage years, you know, you're going through high school. What what was life like at those times? Man, <laughs> during my teenage years, life was life was rough, man. I think what made it so rough too is, you know, I grew up in a two parent household. For the first eleven years of my life, I lived in a two parent household. I didn't see my parents fight once. You know, I never saw my parents fight up until the time they got a divorce, right. you know, they separated. So that kind of flipped my siblings and I world upside down because, you know, we live in a two, we didn't have everything, you know, we were probably a middle-class family, right. you know, we had doors and <laughs> doors on the kitchen cabinets falling off. <laughs> right. We standing <laughs> on the doors to get cereal from the top <laughs> shelf, you know, so, I mean, dad ain't <laughs> fixed that stuff right away. I assume he probably didn't have the bread to, to fix right. the kitchen cabinets right away. <laughs> But in our eyes, you know, it was just life. We lived pretty good. You know, we could go outside and play all hours of the night. Right. You know, I grew up on 139th Street. So Chicago, the city, the city started on 130th Street. So I grew up on 139th. So just right outside of the city. Yep. So, yeah, the first 11 years of my life was, it was definitely like, your typical American household, you know, two-parent household. Dad got up, went to work in the morning, came home at night. Yeah. Dad's home type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mom, she worked here and there. Um, she spent a lot of time keeping us busy at home, you know, just doing stuff with us. Uh, right. You know, grew up in a Christian household, all of that sort of stuff. So coming from that and moving into that space of my parents, like, butting heads and yeah. separating and ultimately getting a divorce, that flipped our world upside down. So it's crazy. That happened around the time 
that happened in like 2003 or so when the housing market collapsed. So mm. my dad's world kind of flipped upside down. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. When the economy went to shit, you know, he uh, got laid off from his job. So did my mom. So we foreclosed on the house, all that Damn. stuff, man. Moved to the inner city. And uh, we grew up around certain things in the suburbs. You know, we grew up around gang activity. But for the most part, where we were living at the time, it wasn't that bad. Like, a little right. bit of things, like, sprinkled off into our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as much activity going on. Fast forward today, 2023, we probably get into that. Right. It's a lot worse. Like, where I grew up, it, it's a lot worse. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, at the time when I was growing up, it wasn't that bad. So, you know, my parents separating and getting a divorce, you know, we moved to the inner city. Yeah. You know, we moved in a little apartment on 103rd and Wentworth. I, I grew up uh, hearing trains mm. all, all night. Trains, the sound from trains putting me to sleep. Is this, like, close to downtown? Uh? Yeah, so... uh the house we lived in, it was in a community called Dalton. Okay. A suburb, a little suburb right out, literally right outside of the city. So uh, we had trains, freight trains behind us. Like, that's what suburban life was for right. us, you know. You don't run in too many spots in the inner city where you see freight trains unless they're, they have their own, like, Look, I don't know what they call them, you know. Like station? <laughs> yeah, they had their own, like the hills with the train tracks, whatever they call them. I don't build trains. <laughs> right. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> I feel it. I don't yeah, either. But, <laughs> right. Yeah, no. I, I'm just thinking about the people that might be listening to yeah. me right now. Like, okay. hey, this dude probably don't even know. This dude don't even know <laughs> well, the, the train the, thing. <laughs> hey, it's a track, a railroad track. That's what it is. Oh. A railroad <laughs> track, damn it. Wow. That's what <laughs> yeah, we're talking so about. You don't see too many railroads. In the inner city, they're uh, kind of like set apart and pushed kind of outside of the city. So growing up in the suburb, uh, you know, I grew up hearing trains, like sound of trains putting me to sleep, mm -hmm. you know. Fast forward, moving to the inner city, sirens was putting me to sleep. <laughs> so I went from trains putting me to sleep to ambulance and police cars and all of that stuff put me to sleep, you know? Like every day? Yeah, like, no, no, like every 20 minutes, maybe. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, at That's night, something different. when we moved from 139th to 103rd in Wentworth, there was a, a siren at least, like, every 20 to 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. What was that? Can you remember kind of, like, your mind changing as you got into that new environment? Did yeah. You? Had to adapt, man. Yeah. I to adapt, you know. Um, I went from having to raise my hand in class to kids throwing books at the teacher. Right. It's easy to hear that and, and look at that and judge it, but when you come from a broken place, what else can you expect from anyone? You know what I mean? When your environment is broken, when it, it is dried up of resources and opportunity, mm -hmm. leadership, mentorship, all of that, you can't expect, expect anything less. And uh, I think the thing that we were run to a lot in our communities, uh, or just as far back as I can think, I think one of the those common denominators was like the lack of education, but it, it's a lot deeper than that though, because right. uh, education is for life. Education is marriage. You know, um, we're constantly learning 
new things about our spouse every single day. And we have to follow suit to, you know, like you said, coexist together. I think just the lack of education in terms of leadership, like mentorship, Mm -hmm. people that have really done it, people that have paved the way, like there's a lack of structure out there when it comes to certain things. And structure is something that our communities was built on, Mm -hmm. but that it lacks today it's um, crazy. so I, I think that just looking at things like that you know it's easy to judge a kid that threw a book at his teacher but maybe he saw his dad throw something at his mom at home you know no that's very well you know maybe he saw somebody on. on the street a crackhead or something or something yeah mm-hmm. I, I, you For know real. i grew up around those i'm almost throwing bricks at at this dude named hollywood that <laughs> used to come you know in the neighborhood local local guy you know, that's the, I'll, I'll call it that local guy. But I grew up around all of that and just witnessing it and seeing it and living it firsthand. It's easy to judge the addict. It's easy to judge that kid in class that threw a book at his mom. Maybe his the addict's dad came home from Vietnam and didn't get no support. Right. And yeah. his family, you know, fell apart. And he grew up without a, a father figure. You never know what someone's going through. But so I grew up from having to raise my hand in class to, you know, kids fighting in class, uh, all of that sort of stuff. Just the energy was different. Yeah. And now that I'm 30 years old and I look at that and I, I really dive into it, one thing that I, I have learned from it is that that energy of a, a child that's angry inside because he's trying to overstep these generational things that have been dealt to him without choice. He's seeing it daily. He He's living it daily. He's going through it daily. He's feeding on it daily because you feed on energy. What do they say? You're 100%. a product of, of your environment. Yep. I'm, a, I'm just a product of my environment. You know, even with these shades on, I'm a product of my environment. Well, with the beanie on, I'm a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. But I've made a choice to take the route of, of higher living to, you know, um, leaving a legacy for my family, leaving a, a le- legacy for my community, mm-hmm. you know, walking in love with people, you know, teaching myself every day how to love myself, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And through those things, you know, I was privileged to have mentors, you know, good leaders in my life. I made a choice at the end of the day to look at things and learn from them rather than turning my back on them. Yeah. It's easy to turn your back on on a lesson when, you know, you got to go back home to a mom that's probably not even there because right. she working trying to provide for your da- family and your dad out doing whatever. Or your dad locked up, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or your dad in the streets or whatever. So were you always like that where you were able to turn those things into really positive things? Or do you feel like for a while you may have been blocking blessings? Man, I, I think that... um I struggled as a child. I would come home every day from school and kindergarten and then in first grade just telling my mom, like, yo, I don't want to go back to school. I, I hate it there. I don't like the people there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The teachers suck. I don't want to go back to school. And my idea of school, you know, I was never able to establish a good relationship with school because schools don't, they don't focus on a child's God-given abilities. Like right. I heard maybe a few weeks ago for the first time that my daughter, they get two recess breaks a day, which I think is dope because 
You make a kid. You we can't even make our own kids sit in one spot for fifteen <laughs> minutes, man. Yeah. So you know, I just didn't have a good relationship with school in right. first grade because I was trying to be forced to be something that I'm not. Mm. And uh, my mom, she took me to you know just do certain tests. Like, does he have dyslexia? What is it? You mm-hmm. know, just they weren't catering to me the way that I should have been catered to. Right. You know, because. I'm a builder. I'm a architect. I'm a creative. A, yep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And in taking these texts, they came back negative. I didn't have dyslexia. I was described as a complex thinker. Mm. I can look at things and I can see if it's like level, you know, straight, that sort of thing. Like right. I, I have a good eye for symmetry, mm-hmm. you know, which is what makes me an artist. Right. So just rewinding back to those times in my life, just, yeah. Just school and, and, you know, having the ability to look at something and learn from it. I think I've always been a complex thinker. And it's tiring, y'all. Like, for real. Some days I'm just building things in my mind all day. And it just gets tiring, you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, just piecing everything together. You know, analyzing everything, right. you know, all the time. And I've had to create something to kind of disassociate from that just throughout life. Because, again, what will life do to us? Try to force us into some something that we weren't right. called mm-hmm. to be or that we aren't meant to be. So, you know, yeah, no, what, what Superman had to do? He had to learn how to. Man, is that Superman? He had to learn how to manage his powers. Absolutely. It, you yep. Know? Yep. I think that's how we are as humans. You know, we just spend life learning to relearn everything to be a kid again and learn mm-hmm. how to manage it through the lessons and the hardships and the pain that we've went through. So, yeah, it's like just being able to look at certain things. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I was better than anybody. Right. But when I was out in the streets, it, it took somebody to show me a better way to, like, wake me up to – you know, like, hey, it's more, much more in life than just this. This might be all you know, mm-hmm. but hey, is this out here? At that moment, that's where I made the decision. Like, oh, okay. okay, it is better out here. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I think one thing that as we grow and become adults, we forget that we're learning each day. You know, like we discussed here that each day is a different day and we're going to continue to learn. If you don't learn, you're going to fall in with the crowd. But in that learning aspect, and you had stated that, it took someone to help you make that switch. Is that like a mentor or, or can you explain to me exactly yeah, who that is? Yeah. Or, man, I wish I could have brought y'all with me when I was a shorty, man. Like the <laughs> house parties in Chicago was cracking. Right? I bet, man. <laughs> cracking. You know, growing up, uh, they <laughs> called juke parties. Mm-hmm. Is your family from California? No. no? Oh, okay. I don't know no. why I thought you had family from California, bro. I might. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you I mean? We know. never know family from everywhere. We you all never know. family. Right. Yeah. Uh, the parties was cracking, bro. They're called juke parties. So have you heard of house music? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So house music, you know, New Yorkers like to say that, you know, it, there's always been this debate between Chicago and New York that house music originated in New York, but it originated in Chicago. <laughs> you know, you got house, you got ghetto house, then you got juke. So, you know, house started when it started. Ghetto house was more of like the early 80s. So you think of Soul Train, you think of all those, you know, just old classics mm-hmm. that was in our grandma's movie library or right. on the TV. Mm-hmm. Ghetto house was a thing in Chicago. You know, it was a more up-tempo house music with some ghetto on it. You know what I mean? Right. With a little bit a little of flavor. Yeah. 
a little bit of street on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, just through that evolution over time, we got what we call today as juke music or footwork tracks. Right. So juke music is done at 160 beats per minute. So it's more up-tempo, a lot faster than house music. Footwork tracks today are be, being done at like anywhere from 160 to like 180 beats per minute. Like, you know, just an up-tempo, fast-paced music. Through the ghetto house and through Juke, Chicago bursts songs like The Percolator. It's time for The Percolator. Mm-hmm. It's time for The Percolator. Y'all ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Way so, back. Way back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's time for the perk. So, you know what I mean? You got your granny in the house doing the percolator, <laughs> dancing and stuff. Getting you in. know what I mean? And through that, that's where footwork came from. Okay. It, it came from Juke. It came from Ghetto House. It was birthed from that. Growing up on the south side of Chicago and going to the Juke parties, you know, we would go to the parties to see how many numbers we can get or how many Jukes we can get. You know what I mean? In Chicago, we call it Juking, but... Uh, I forget what they call it in functions in LA. Like, you know what I mean? We brothers, right? you know, you know, we'll go to see how many juice we can get from the girls, you know, right. on the wall waiting to get a, uh, a girl or whatever. So, uh, that's what we went to the parties from and that's for, and that's what I, when I was exposed to Chicago footwork, going to the juke parties. Cause the juke parties is like church. It's like, that's where all the energy is. You got your music on the radio playing and you got your favorite artist playing like, yay, like right. Jay-Z, you know, Anelli, you know, um, them franchise boys, yep. uh, you know, some, maybe some records produced by Jermaine Dupree might come on, but you, we're in Chicago. We at the juke party. So we actually, we also have our, our house music, our, our juke music. Right. You know what I mean? Our ghetto house music again through ghetto house, through juke footwork came from. So at these juke parties, circles would start where people would start footworking, like mm-hmm. dancing, you know, in California, they got crumping. Chicago, we got footwork. So you got these circles going on, battles going on. And as a shorty, I'm in a juke party at like eight years old. <laughs> eight, nine <laughs> years old. You know what I mean? And they're a baby. Right. Yep. <laughs> man. Um, just at a young age. So, man, the juke parties, you had everything, bro. You got the hustlers over here in the corner. You got the footworkers over here. You got the gangsters over here. You know <laughs> what I mean? You might have a little bit of regular people sprinkled into there. Right. But either you was at the juke party because you was gang banging, you was just trying to get girls, you was footworking, or you was hustling. Mm-hmm. So I took a liking to the footwork side of the juke parties because that's where footwork started. So I took a liking to that. My brother and I took a liking to that. So we would try to footwork because we just grew up seeing it at the parties. We didn't know that there was a long line of history behind this, that there was a culture behind Chicago footwork. Mm -hmm. We just was at the parties, and we just saw it. We thought it was just a Chicago thing, like, oh, footwork, okay. Mm -hmm. This is something we do here. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that it was a history behind it. We didn't know there was a guy named Ant Brown um, that started it with his, his crew back in the day, you know. Right. We didn't know about these things. Fast forward to high school, my brother met a guy that was really good at footwork, and we like, he like, dang, I ain't never seen nobody footwork like that before. So uh, it was funny because we both learned about this side of the city on the same day. It was like, <laughs> bro, it was like That's some crazy. weird stuff, bro. I was over at my homie Nick house on the east side around where Herb grew up. Okay. Where work, yeah, because Herb, uh, Herb was on the other side of uh, 
Stony Island. So uh, Kanye, Ye was on the other side. I think Ye and Chance was. Yeah, that neighborhood where, like, Ye, Herb, Chance, where all those guys was from. So I on the east side, I, I grew up over there, too, because my granny was over there. So I'm at my homie Nick house. We watching footwork videos on YouTube around the time when YouTube first came out. <laughs> so he's showing me this dude named the Pope. He was like a local celebrity, like, in footwork. So, you know, the Pope, he, he would go to, like, elementary schools and perform okay. and, and footwork and do uh, – you know, just all these different Chicago-born dances at the local schools. So Nick was showing me him. So I come home. I'm like, yo, I, Nick showed me this dude on YouTube. His name the Pope. He raw at that footwork shit. Right. So my, my brother was <laughs> like, oh, man, I already know about the Pope. You got to check out Spade. I'm like, Spade? He pull up Spade on YouTube. I'm like, bro, this dude Spade is cold. Like <laughs> he way nice better. with it. Man, he man. nice with it. So uh, we watching Spade all night. We learned about Spade maybe a few days later. Like, I was, I can't lie, I started, this is at a time when my brother and I kind of started falling into the streets. Mm. So my brother trying to, like, Nick showed me footwork, Greg showed me footwork. It was cool and all. But at that time, I'm like, I was outside hanging out with my friends, you know. That's what was most important to me. You know, going to school and just kicking it with the guys after school. Right. Greg met this dude at school that started. He was really good at footwork, and he started uh, teaching him. Greg, that's my brother. He started teaching him how to dance, and he would come over every day after school, and they would move the kitchen table out the way and just, you know, train in the kitchen. And I would just watch them. It didn't click until I went on my eighth-grade graduation trip. Uh, we went to Atlanta, so they got, like, a coach bus. We all got in there. We went to Atlanta. And some some of my classmates was playing footwork tracks while we were out there. And it just really gave me, like, this Chicago pride. Like, being out there in Atlanta, you know, my school taking us somewhere to see other things. Like, we didn't right. get to see a lot growing up in Chicago. I remember going on field trips. It was kids on the bus that never been downtown, bro. Wow. And it's crazy because you can see the Sears Tower. It's called the Willis Tower today. You can see it from dang near anywhere in the city because it's that tall. So... I always thought of that, like, dang, you can see it, but you never touched it. You know what I mean? Mm. You know it's there. And you can relate that to anything in life, our goals, our dreams. Like, you got to believe in it so much that that you have that sight beyond vision, that you can see it. You might not be touching it yet, but it's there. You believe it. You know it. And it was always crazy to me that we were going these field trips. There was kids that never been downtown. Um, you know, it was some of the kids first time going out of state when we went to that on that Atlanta trip. And, you know, some of the guys just playing footwork tracks that gave me this Chicago pride. So I came home with this new energy, like, man, I want to learn this footwork stuff. I want to know what this is about. I'm proud of being from Chicago. Yeah. So uh, it went from hanging out, us hanging out with our homies and stuff, because my brother was like, we started falling into the streets, but we didn't get as deep as some of our, our guys did. Like, my brother was a little bit deeper than me, and he said it in a podcast himself. Like, he had to check himself because I wanted to be just like him, mm. and I would do things, like, just a lot He's more than older him. brother? Yeah, because okay, I would want to yeah. be like him. Right. So I would try to do it, like, 20 times as much as him, you know, mm-hmm. so that I could be up there with my, my brother. I would always feel the need to prove myself to him. 
Yeah. So that's so, someone you feel like you really yeah. followed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, with him meeting that guy and him coming over and teaching us footwork, it just gave me that Chicago pride and it gave me a new perspective on life that there's more out there. Like I can actually work at something and work to be good at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, just going back, I've always been a complex thinker. I would put puzzles together you know, for hours as I was a child, I would build things, use my hands. Yeah. My granny, you know, um, shout out to my granny, rest in peace to her. She was a very influential Chicago Renaissance woman. And uh, learning from her, just always had these abilities to to work with my hands and, and create things. But yeah. I never knew how to, like, use it until I was introduced to footwork. So, uh, yeah, that was at a time where it was a pivotal moment. We was falling into the streets. My brother met Malcolm. Malcolm taught us how to dance, you know, and we joined a crew called Havoc. So this is where it really started for me. So Spade, remember Spade? So Spade actually was in Havoc. So Spade... Man, Havoc, man. I, I love my, my fam, man. That's the fam. You know? Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to pull up a picture for y'all. Like, if it wasn't for Havoc, like, I probably wouldn't even be alive. I can't Damn. even lie to you. And this um, is a dance crew. Yep. Okay. Yep, Chicago yep. dance crew. You know, we talking 30 years of history right there in right. itself. You know, long line of Chicago legends. Um, You know, Spade. Rest in peace to Spade. Spade being one of them. You know, rest in peace to Pierre. Rest in peace to Lester. You know what I mean? I'm about to drop. Man, man yo, I'm getting emotional over here but thinking that's, about my brothers, you know. Um, that's crazy, man. Prince J-Ron, my mentor, you know. So uh, enjoying it, Havoc, Prince J-Ron, he was the leader of the group. He started the group with the founding members, Pierre and, and Lester. And Rob, you know, shout out my boy Rob. They uh, The four of them, they started Havoc, you know. Cowherd. They started Havoc, you know, just the culture definitely was formed around this group, you know, definitely was formed around groups like Havoc, Creation, Terror Squad, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they learned from the originators, you know, some of the originators. Do you think that like what you took from Havoc and being with Havoc is something that still influences you today in how how you do things? Yeah, definitely, because J-Rom... He's one of the first footworkers to tour the world with a mainstream artist. Like, when he did that, that opened my eyes to the possibilities. It was like, boom, wow, I could do something with my life. Like, there's so much out here to experience. You know, there was MySpace at the time, uh, before Facebook. And when J-Ron, he was on tour with Madonna on her last, like, world tour. Like, big world tour. I think she did a few more after that. But this was, like, a really big tour. The Sticky and Sweet tour. You know, they went to pretty much every country on the planet. And um, watching him from afar on MySpace... You know, post these <laughs> photos at stuff you, at places you only see on postcards. Right. <laughs> you know, that just opened my mind. Like, dang, I could do something with this footwork stuff. So I went to my mom and I told her, I'm like, man, I want to be a f- professional dancer like J. Ron. You know, look at these pictures. My man's in, in next to the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> right. Everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everywhere. Man. Popping up next to the Aztec pyramids in with South Madonna. America. Like, what? Mm-hmm. You can crazy. do all of this from dancing. Like, man, sign me up. Right. So I asked my mom, <laughs> I asked my mom, like, man, how do I become a professional dancer? The first thing I did was Google how to become a professional <laughs> dancer. 
you're so in a I'm good learning. place. Yeah, I'm right. learning. This is why I'm learning entrepreneurship because mm. I'm reading about all this stuff on how to become a professional dancer because I want to make a career out of this. So right. I'm asking my mom. My mom's like, oh, we got to get you in dance classes. So um, I enrolled in this little this little uh, mom and pop like dance studio up north called uh, the Dance Academy Chicago. So I started going there weekly, learning. I started training for like 10 hours a day during the summer. Like there was Man. not one day that I didn't practice footwork. Like from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep. Right. Sweating all day, training, <laughs> going hard. So I'm trying to be like J-Ron. I want to tour with Madonna. I right. want to see the world. And uh, J-Ron saw all my hard work from afar. I'm talking to this dude every day on MySpace. Like, we hadn't got to establish, like, that brother relationship yet because he toured with Madonna right after I joined Havoc. He was, I was only with Havoc, like, two months, for two mm. months. Um, and then he left to go on tour with Madonna. So J-Ron watching me for, from afar, like, dang, this, little, this new little guy, he real, right. you know, driven. When he finished the first leg of the tour, he came home. Um, you know, I got to hang out with him more, spend all this time with him. He bought me and my homie Chaz a ticket to fly out to New York when they went on the second leg to meet the crew and, you know what I mean, meet everybody that was on tour, the dancers. So I'm, mind you, like south side of Chicago, it's a shooting that happened last night. This is the area that I grew Man. up in. Somebody right. probably got whacked the day before, you know what I mean, and yeah. everybody at school who knows about it. And that's what everybody's used to, and that's the life everybody is living. So imagine that's that crazy. A, a 15, 16-year-old hopping on a flight to New York to go hang out with the Madonna dancers. Yeah, that's that's Like, I came back to school, like, you know what I mean? Different. Because, yeah, like, yeah. because just being privileged enough to get exposed to that, I worked right. for it. Like, J-Ron right. wouldn't have bought me that ticket if I wasn't training for 10 hours a day. I worked for right. it. One thing about me, I was always gracious to you know, my peers, because I know they didn't have the same opportunities, you know, as I did. Right. Because it was a privilege to be a part of Havoc. They didn't let just anybody in. You had to know something. Like, I sucked at dancing at the time, bro. Like, I was not good at footwork, but I had good abilities. I had skill sets. I was good with a camera, mm. you know. Uh, think of Havoc like ASAP Mob. Mm. You okay. Know? You just got all these creators. You got Bari with the fashion. You got Rocky and Ferg with the rapping. It's like the culture. You know? Yeah. You got Yams, the businessman that was behind it. Yeah. That's what Havoc was, you know. My brother and I, we was good with, like, T-shirts and filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how we got in the group. And that they trained sense. us, and they we got good over time. Right. But uh, they saw just the potential in us. So I'm going back to school. You know, I just was in New York with the Madonna dancers, X, Y, Z. I was out there, everybody seeing the photos online and stuff. It felt good, you know, to be making something of my life. Right. And that's when I, I started going even harder after that, you know. I went and auditioned for a performing arts school downtown, got in there to take classes, you know, uh, during the school year, during summer. Mm -hmm. You know, I just started going real hard. Yeah, I was going to ask, where did weight come about from this? Yeah. Wake, man, I feel like when we look at culture, when, when we look at house or when we look at hip hop, you know, those nuances coming from Jamaica and, you know, Jamaican Queens, Queens, New York, you know, adopting that Harlem, 
you know, Brooklyn, adopting that and New York being the birthplace of hip hop. When we look at, you know, the culture and just those different nuances, that energy, emceeing, DJing, graffiti writing, style, you know what I mean? All of that good stuff. Um, Breakdancing. That's the culture. You look at any ghetto in America, you're going to find a brother that's dancing. (laughs) You're going to find a brother that's making some music, creating some form of art, some form of expression. Right. You know, so I think that's something that was just ingrained in me as a child. You know, I grew up watching Nelly and Jay-Z on TV. I grew up watching Dipset on TV. So watching, you know, Air Force Ones or um, Dipset, you know, we still got guys out yeah, here today that's dressing like Cam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, that's yeah. dressing like Jewels, that's dressing like Jim Jones. I think it's something that's just always been a part of me as a child. It took time for me to catch up with it, and I caught up with it around the age of, like, 12 after my parents' divorce. That's when mm. we really started trying to find things to do, right. you know, because it was just too much going on at home, Yeah, you know. Needed that distraction, kind yeah. of that getaway. A little bit of street stuff got sprinkled into there. I think uh, just growing up on the south side of Chicago, if you haven't had at least... Like, you got a cousin that's into some stuff. You got an uncle that's into some stuff. Yeah. You know, you might have been into some stuff for a little bit. We products of our environment. A lot of times it's survival, and it's you trying to cope with, you know, your reality. Yeah. Just that reason that, you know, just, I don't even want to say falling victim to the streets. I don't like that, you know. Right. I don't think, man, it gets deep, y'all. No, for <laughs> real, know? though. Um Especially when you bring up the because topic. Because you are, I mean, we are dealt sometimes. Some, a lot of us are dealt a, a shit hand. But um, I think that's why it's so important for guys like us to show the next kid, like, hey, you have opportunities. Because, like, his blood is on our hands. Like, I'm, I didn't get to where I am in life right now to just be quiet about everything I've been through. Because right. Somebody's blood is in my hands if I don't talk about this. Like, yo, shorty, you can make it out. You don't have to do this. There's opportunity out here for you. So I think it just, um, you know, it comes back to that. That Just just being that light overstepping poverty, you know, and and being that light to the next person. For real. What would you say for you over the last three years, what has been the biggest change for you? Like, what are some of the things I know it's been for everybody? It's really been a crazy last three years. You know what I'm saying? Just in general, mm-hmm. but you with wake, you know, opening up preaches um, and just everything else that comes along with life. What are some things that you've seen have changed for you, you know, personally and, and professionally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Personally, um, I would say, taking a deeper step into what it means to be a man you know Mm. that's something that nobody's talking about today and it's sad but I was raised by women I was raised by my mom my granny my dad was there you know he was there not present yeah just diving into what it means to be a a man for my family I, I would say that that's one of those things that I've been working on you know, sure. um, yeah. it's being authentic, being true to myself. I may not have fell victim to my environment. I may have fell victim at, l- at little points in time, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I have that choice on if I'm going to fall victim to just not being the man that the world is afraid of me 
right. you know, being for my family, you know. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, just authenticity, you know, just diving into my traumas, you know, understanding that it's not normal to have 15 plus dead friends. Right. You know, I thought it was normal for the longest. Uh, when I lost one of my first friends, Troy, you know, it's just something you heard about in songs or saw on TV from another artist that was expressing their reality. And you think that it's normal, but, you know, it's not. Yeah. So just diving into my own traumas, you know, learning about what it is to be a man. That's something I longed for as a child, you know, um, just having that good male role model in my life. Yeah. So uh, just stepping into that space. And you know what I mean? Overstepping everything that they said that I couldn't be or right. that I wouldn't be. Everything. All them statistics and odds yep. that said you wouldn't be here today, you know, as a successful business owner and as a successful mentor to people and really a light to people as well. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll never know because I'm 30 years old. Hey, now, so. I guess we'll never know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, with your business, I want to get a little bit deeper into that. Um, you know, for people out there that maybe have thought about starting a brand, which you've mentioned, or starting a clothing line, what are some of the struggles, really, that you see most people go through when they're starting those things? We were talking a little bit about this before we started podcasting, and I think the number one struggle that our youth will find themselves in when trying to start a streetwear brand is doing it just to start a brand or doing it just to start a business. Mm -hmm. hey, when we look at streetwear culture, the essence of it being anything is possible, in my opinion, because streetwear comes from our urban communities in America. That's where it was birthed. Right. It came out of hip hop. It came from fresh. Guys like Dapper Dan paved the way for us. Yeah. And looking at that, I think that someone really needs to just take a look with them themselves and just check their heart posture when it comes to this. Like, mm. are you doing a brand because it's trendy on TikTok? Like, you want to have a clothing, a streetwear brand right. and make T-shirts and hoodies because it's something you see the next kid on TikTok doing that's behind a computer all day. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that's just behind computers starting streetwear brands that yeah. haven't done their due diligence. What is the heart of the culture? Where did it come from? Who are our originators? You know, who paved the way for us to be able to even start a brand? Yeah. And people even say streetwear, you know? Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Um, I, I think that people should just take a look at their heart. Like, are you doing this for some sort of glory? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, to be looked at as, like, cool? Right. Or, Purpose is like, important. Yeah. Because that's just surface level. Being cool, looking cool, that's just sur surface level. Right. Hey, man, I came out with my mama with this. You know, you might, you're going to have to take it up with my mama. Because, <laughs> right. like, fresh, being fly, you know, the culture, that, that's something that's always been a part of my life. Again, you know, I was explained as a complex thinker as a child when I thought that I was dumb. <laughs> right. You know, man. I was just told that I was a complex thinker. And there's people that and will relate to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's just, I think that it's all about connecting with our younger self and just understanding, like, why am I really doing this? Mm. Because um, anybody can be famous. Yeah these days you know anybody that's fine and a lot of people are doing streetwear these days for fame or attention or all of that stuff but um i think just streetwear in itself man like you know just doing your due diligence yeah. um and then understanding that in 
understanding, you know, how um, cultures coexist even within mm-hmm. streetwear and right. how how um, streetwear, it transcends culture, yeah. you know, in itself today. Um, right. Just understanding all those nuances and history and the heart of it. I would uh, just ask that kid that wants to start a streetwear brand to just do your homework. Yeah. You know, because when you do your homework and when you study the greats, not just in streetwear, but within fashion in itself, it'll teach you <laughs> a, a lot. So that yeah. would just be a key yeah. for me, you know, and, and entrepreneurship in itself, like leadership, mentorship. You can't do none of this alone. A lot of people want to act like there's something new under the sun that they're doing. That's just so much more significant yeah. than the guy down the street when really Everything is just repurposed, recycled, recreated mm-hmm. within a, a new perspective or way of thinking. Yeah. You know, none of us are doing anything new or unheard of. We're all just recycling and creating things within our own form of reference. Like, Man. So um, for That's the facts. local, you know, entrepreneur or kid that just wants to dive into business, just, you know, understand that you can't do it alone. You know, and you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to be this. I need to be humble. I need to be humble all the time. I need to be around people that can pour life and that can breathe life within me. You know, I don't right. want to be just, you know, just dragging my feet through life. I need people around me that's going to pour into me and that's going to, like, just make me look at myself like, hey, man. <laughs> hey man follow suit you know what i mean right, you're yo. not done yet yo. your life journey is not complete grow man work has that had a big difference on your life recently because i feel like i've seen you guys and wake you know with a getting into commercials now <laughs> you know doing um pop-up shop just like everything i feel like you guys are growing quite a bit can you talk about how relationships has helped open up opportunities for you guys and and allowed you to capitalize on it because you have to have the value as well yeah absolutely so uh, when we rewind and go back to you know prince jayron my brother that toured with madonna um and that is still making strides and impacts on the culture in chicago chicago legend man like seriously it started with him you know just because jayron couldn't have reached me if he wasn't a light to me, there was something like, yeah, he was cold at dancing. He was the best. I, like, he's still, in my opinion, to this day, the best footworker in Chicago. I'll argue with anybody. I don't care. I've argued with my own brothers about it, my own <laughs> homies. <laughs> right. He the best, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, he had to reflect that light to me through dance in order to catch my attention and therefore go off and do amazing things within the world through his talents and through his God-given abilities and gifts. Man. You know, it couldn't have just stopped at him being a good footworker because it's a bunch of cold basketball players like you know that's not on the league and that want to argue and fight with people on the court you know like they deserve to be on the league but they just don't have that work ethic you you gotta have that good work ethic and and j-ron you know i got to see talent and work ethic you know right just transcend the south side of chicago and take him around the world man just watching him you know be a light to me ultimately is what caused me to follow, you know, or, or in his footsteps, yeah. you know, it's following his footsteps. So that's dope. 
mentorship was a big part of my life. Jaron's mentor was Mr. Jones. We call him King. Uh, his wife started the Youth Peace Center of Roseland, and you know, now they have people like Obama coming through YPC. You know, you got um, the Jobs family coming through YPC. You know, connected, deeply connected within the streets of Chicago. Right. Um, wow. and, uh, from a political aspect, from a street view, all of it. I was mentored you know, briefly by Mr. Jones growing up. You know, he was a manager of a crew that I started within Havoc called Havoc Footwork Crew. That's when I first started dabbling in entrepreneurship. You know, I started a sector or a branch of Havoc where we were um, purpose and entrepreneurial driven. Like we would get paid to dance at schools and for local organizations. And we would hop on planes to go to California to audition and go to New York. And all sort of stuff. That's crazy. Just having those mentors and people to help you and push you along the process, you know. Even here in the Sioux Falls community, you know, shout out to Tammy and Dysart, Bonnie Hereri, you know, over at yep. the 3D, Daniel Carr. Just really just making impacts in our community and reaching people. Right. I think you have to be a light. Shout out to, you know, our guys that's just crushing the the space of business and entrepreneurship in our community, you right. know, Matt Paulson, Kevin Tupi, mm-hmm. you know, um, guys like that, you know, we have to have people to look towards to, you know, learn, Hey, yeah, obviously sure. it's working for them. They're doing yeah. something right now. We're all different. You know, we just got to sprinkle our sauce on side. Cause in business things, yes, things are black and white. We got to, you know, make the right decisions financially. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to make the right decisions in terms of scale, you know, in terms of, um, you know, our brand, the, the way we market our brand, all of this stuff. Right. You know, um, I think that that's where leadership, you know, is very, it's critical. We got to, we can't be the, the smartest person in the room. For sure. So um, just having people like that to look towards, you right. know, with the first person being, you know, J-Ron Spade, fast forward to, you know, my man's care. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Tupi, you know, over at Creston Capital that has an amazing story of starting from a, a kiosk wow. <laughs> in the Empire Mall to, you know, being nationwide. It, it just amazing. don't make sense. That's but crazy. wait, hey, is success it's supposed, supposed to make right. sense? <laughs> it's not, it's not supposed to make sense. Yeah. Right. And if it made sense. You know, everybody it, it's would. like this thing. Um, <laughs> when when you broke and when you down to nothing in life, everybody has a conclusion but when you're successful everyone has a story mm. you know wow you gotta cut through yep. you gotta make That's it crazy. bleed bro you gotta be a light you have yep. to be what we here for man to make others better yep to help others make change yeah overstep poverty yeah right? that's crazy i want to actually open it up to a segment in our podcast called roundtable so any questions that you have for Zacchaeus and I, I want you to fire away and just get some questions out on the table for us as well. Yeah, yeah most of Yeah. Man, speaking of, just thinking of my younger self and growing up in the Chicago public school system, we didn't have no financial literacy, nothing, how to do mm-hmm. loans, credit, taxes, none of that stuff. Yeah. Um, what would your advice be to, you know, the single parent or – you know, that wants to provide a, a safe environment for his or her child. Yeah. That wants, you know, to 
get a mortgage on a home you right. know, that wants to, you know, just provide that security for their family. Um, what advice would you have for them? I think for really anybody, you know, is to start where you're at. I think a lot of people get so um, scared on what maybe people will think or how they will be viewed, even by just asking a simple question, right? Mm -hmm. Because as we grow up through life, our parents do the best they can to teach us what they know, right? But they can't teach us everything. And there are a lot of things like in the school district where we're not getting the financial literacy. So people shouldn't be ashamed. I think people need to just start where they're at. Mm -hmm. Um, And once you start, you're able to find a journey. You're able to kind of set those goals into place. So, like, for instance, when I'm working with somebody that's looking to get a mortgage and say they come to me and their credit isn't where it needs to be, them coming to me is all the trust that I needed to know, okay, my what I need to return is a path, mm-hmm. right? This person is coming to me. They're vulnerable, right? They're like, hey, you know, I have some stuff to work on. This is where I'm at. What can I do? Uh, so, yeah, I say take care of your credit first and foremost, that's going to allow you to either rent or buy. Um, and then from there, just start building off of that. You know what I mean? Ask questions, attend different seminars or go meet some people, talk with people. And I think when people do that and open themselves up, they learn that there's a lot more resources to help them get to where they're trying to go than they're even aware of. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's just getting started and not being ashamed of where you're at or where Damn. you've been. That's big, man. We all sold that American dream that you need the biggest car or the biggest house to feel some sense of purpose or belonging. But I think that's that's the key right there, starting small, you know. Don't be afraid to start small. And everybody's at a different place. Some people come from, quote-unquote, ideal or perfect situations that they need just as much help when it comes to the financial literacy piece is somebody that doesn't come from anything. You know what I mean? Because at some point there's a disconnect. Most of the kids are going to a lot of the same public schools where they're not teaching basic needs. So uh, we have a lot more in common than people think. Yeah. Wow. And that just brings the next question. Um, the crime. So, you know, if we had that single parent that's looking to get a a home and, and they're on one income, you know, but they want to build and they want to create generational wealth for their family. Let's get to down to the black and white. Like what are some numbers that you would advise, you know, your single parent to start with like on a home loan? So I guess I can't really talk directly on like a home loan um, in itself there. Uh, My expertise are going to be more of like on the credit end of it um, for uh, financing for like vehicles. And it kind of relates to each other as well. I'm on that end, but I'd say as far as that, I mean, the way you build generational wealth is like you said, it's not being that smartest person in the room and not yeah. pretending to be either. Um, it's, it's information and it's information overload. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's always connecting with other people who know a little bit more to the piece of the puzzle and you're connecting all those people together. Um, and that's how you take that first step in building that generational wealth because unfortunately you can't do it on your own. Um, when it comes to that, some people do have, um, access where they can, but usually you can't, um, on that. So, 
that and then as far as numbers wise, whether it's like investing or talking to investors, um, building your own products like you guys have done, you know, as far as that, that's generational wealth. That's legacies that you're passing on. You know, Wake is not going to just end with you. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to go, whether it's your kids or someone else's kids. You know what I'm saying? This product, this brand that you built, it's always going to live on. And yeah. so um, things like that as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, it's always just starting. And like he said, it's starting with asking a question. That's big, man. It, it can be scary, you yeah. know. Especially when you're trying to build generational welfare, it can be scary. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, that that's good. Just I just helped a single mother. Actually, she is a mother of three children. She had a story of she was trying to buy a house last year through a different lender and different, well, same realtor. But that's besides the point. She got about two days before being able to close, and a couple liens and judgments came through. So she wasn't able to close and this is stemming from a previous marriage. Um, and I see it a lot on both sides where spouses or, you know, people that have been a divorce, they get in such kind of messed up situations financially and just credit gets all messed up and it just is not pretty. I see that a lot. So when it, it's somebody like her, she put the work in, you know, for a whole year to be able to go pay those things off, take care of her business and then come back to me and try again. Yeah. And that's another thing I would mm. I would touch is don't give up. Yeah, resilience. Yep. People yep. get, they go to a bank and they'll get denied and they won't go ask anybody else, right? You're not going to get the same answer at every place you go, yeah. you know, and you're going to run into different people. You're going to run into people that some are there for a paycheck, some are there to help you. Yeah. And if you stop with the person that's just there for a paycheck, it can leave you feeling like discouraged yeah. and not feeling like you're able to do things. Yeah. And it yeah. all comes back uh, down to nah, that that's, stuff. That's actually dope. Like what would you, um, in your own words, what would you describe like money as? Like how would you define money? Money? Yeah. Uh, like the paper? Yeah, it was like, yeah, just any form of money. Or like value. I, I think there's different forms of like currency, yeah. right? So like that's what I was that's the bro that, <laughs> that's what I was hoping you were gonna yeah, say yeah yeah different forms of currency that, deep. that paper you know obviously mm-hmm. the the dollar bill that's a form of currency but it's about adding value mm-hmm. you know it's about adding you can't just we had a guest on here that just said you can't just take all the time right you have mm-hmm. to be adding value you have to be doing things that. Bro, if y'all listening to this podcast and if it was anything that you've heard so far, if you don't take this point, <laughs> seriously, you don't take that part of it. Yeah. That's, that's, you can't take, right? All the time. You got to yeah. be. So the currency of it, I would say, is is giving. It's you, right? Like everything. We've had this conversation. It can get to a spiritual level. It can get as deep as you want. It all comes back to you. Mm. Right. And what you provide. If you're not providing value to people, well, why would people keep you around you know that's the people can leech on for so long but eventually you you know it it comes Mm -hmm. to light or it's just like bro do ticks bust like if they like suck too much blood do they like i don't i think (laughs) you can do that with uh mosquitoes right really oh yeah don't be a mosquito don't be a greedy mosquito you press on it press on your skin right there where they're taking the blood and and they'll they'll burst we didn't have to be a greedy mosquito for sure (laughs) for sure but no that that's a good question though as far Mm -hmm. as value currency there's many different forms 
Uh, it could be emotional support. There's just everybody has something to give, um, but some people just take. You yeah. know, everything is in motion. Everything. everything, plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would you say as far as money or currency? You know, what is it to you? <laughs> now we diving into money traumas, man. What? I love it, man. Hey, I've been there. We got bad. <laughs> we got a lot of money traumas, y'all. We grew up just trying to barely make it. Mm-hmm. Had a pack of cookies in the fridge. That's about it. In the fridge. What are we doing with a pack of sandwich cookies? Mm. A pack of lemon sandwich cookies in the fridge. Why? Why? why that's not in the uh, cabinet. Right. Because <laughs> you know, the, the, door, the doors were broke. That's how cabinets. messed up. That's how bad it was. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait. You got, oh, you got a pack of cookies, but they're in the fridge. Right. You got to be down bad. <laughs> At least you, you know, got some in there, they said. So I'm not coming from an empty place. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Know. And neither am I coming from a place like I have it all figured out. Like we just talked about mentors and leadership Mm -hmm. and you talked about value and we talked about being not being the smartest person in the room. A lot of people like to look at Mona Lisa and I like we live (laughs) in like we got it made. Hey, there is nothing that I'm doing that anyone else can't do. Mm -hmm. Man, seriously, like there's nothing I'm doing that anyone else can't do. And um, it's a I, I think that just, yeah, it definitely it's a perception. And I think that just diving into money traumas, we have the long, wrong association with money. Mm-hmm. We view it as something that we need to hold on to or use to to feed our own egos. Man. When really money is a tool. 100%. Nothing yeah. in life is stagnant. And anything that is stagnant is dead. Mm-hmm. Why should money be stagnant? It's losing value yep. as it sits there. It's not growing, it's rotting. That would be my thing. Yeah. You know, hey, you got a scarcity mentality. You think that you got to hold on to every last dollar because you had a, only a pack of cookies in the fridge. Man. You know, you scared to to use it. Yeah. Or are you spending it to run away from your own idea of yourself because you had only a pack of cookies in the fridge. Like, mm-hmm. we're talking about self-worth. We're talking about, you know, self-hate. Hey, you love yourself enough to not go spend all your money to impress somebody? Man, I see a lot of people that walk around and they're so easily uh, influenced, you know, like, and that's just people in general, but a lot of times people just don't know who even who they are. Yeah. Right. So they do, man, they try to fit in. They try to find themselves in other people. Yeah. Which is crazy. And in relating into the money trauma that I grew up kind of the same, you know, but my parents didn't get divorced until I was 16. Yeah. My siblings, my sister was 11. Mm -hmm. My brother was six. And I felt like money had something to do with my parents getting divorced. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that type of situation leaves you with money trauma, right? Mm-hmm. You start finding yourself like, dang, why am I like this with my money? Mm-hmm. I was holding on to a lot mm-hmm. of it, you know, and I wouldn't do things or I'll always buy something for somebody else, but I'll never buy something for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. It is something that people need to dive into with their relationship with money because when it comes to even buying a house and stuff like that, it's all about the money yeah. at the end of the day. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. like when you don't have a good relationship with it, then 
nothing that is associated with money is probably going to be in good standing. You know what I mean? We're healing our money traumas. Man, facts. And moving on to that, let's actually move into our last segment of our episode here, Tyler, where our question for you is, and and usually we kind of actually word it as, what would you tell your 16-year-old self on that? I just want to know exactly what five tips, tricks, and hacks do you have for our viewers and listeners in overstepping poverty? First off, I don't have any regrets uh, whatsoever. I don't live in regret. regret. I don't have space for that. Yeah. Just wasted energy. But at 30 years old, just speaking to my 15-year-old self, I would say you don't need to cope with their environment ascend past your environment but good job on getting away from it at the right time we're high school hey you were hopping on planes to you know run away from your harsh realities at home and you wanted to be this big professional dancer and go on a tour with somebody so you can escape chicago you don't need to be ashamed of that that's probably why you didn't tour right because you weren't and the same advice that I gave our listeners, you know, on this episode earlier, like just doing, if you want to start a brand, a streetwear brand, doing it from the right heart posture, you know, having right. the right heart posture when it comes to, you know, starting that brand. Hey, if I look back at my my 17-year-old self, I loved art. I loved dance. Yes, like that's still who I am today. But I was working myself into the ground because I was just trying to escape my reality yeah but at 30 years old as i dive back into my reality man that's where i get most of my energy mm-hmm. so now i'm thankful for it i'm thankful that i didn't get the opportunity to tour with somebody at 16 years old because right. then i would have missed out on a lot man the journey yeah yep. some more i know y'all said five things as two um another one that i would tell myself is that um hey man it's okay to have confidence in yourself. You don't have to downplay who you are to make someone else feel comfortable. Man, that's a big one. But you do have a responsibility to love that person that <laughs> not messing with you just for being yourself, you know. Mm. I have a responsibility to love that person that hates me because it takes away from me if I try to do the same thing they do. Man. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to hate you. Keep hating me. That's okay. I'm focused on something else over here. Right. Hey, and keep hating me because I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. That's that motivation, that fuel. So believe in yourself. A lot of our youth in high school are going through that right now. Um, identity, you know, not feeling accepted, not feeling a place. Hey, you dive within, I promise you, it's something you got with inside that no one else in your school has because you are an individual, you know. Mm-hmm. So just that love, I would tell myself that because uh, there was times when we were going through it at home and I didn't have no confidence. And there was times when I moved out here, <laughs> the black guy from the south side of Chicago right, that had a pack of cookies in his fridge, and that would just sound so foreign to some of my friends from out here. Mm-hmm. Like, what, you got a car for your high school graduation? Man. <laughs> I barely even got a car. That's crazy. <laughs> I got a, I probably got some balloons or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you I know, know y'all was turning up, though. That's not to even shame that kid that got a car. That's just to, to say that, um, that it's something I did to myself. You know, I kind of, like, just off my own confidence 
from that comparison thing we all yeah. like to compare so don't compare yourself right um just accept your journey accept who you are and the the last thing that i i don't know if it was that five i think that was like three or four hey if hey, you I got one more one on more. there go ahead yep i think just dive into what we talked about earlier nothing in life it is stagnant everything in, is in motion Whatever isn't in motion is either dead or sleep. Right. Get your rest where you need it, but are you still where you were last year mentally? Is your brain psychology moving? Is that in motion? Is that growing? Is that ascending? Is that transforming? Is that changing? Right. Are you the same person you were six months ago? Just asking ourselves that question, diving into just that word in itself, motion. Just... Hey, we got to give up our, our idea of reaching a destination of anything in life because nothing stops until it's dead or Man. it's resting, you know? Mm-hmm. So just keep moving. A whole know? lot of motion. Keep moving and have grace for yourself while you're moving. Man, that was beautiful. Yes. Well, there you guys have it. Our next episode of Overstepping Poverty here. Thank you so much, Zacchaeus uh, and myself, Daquan. And thank you, Tyler, for taking the time to Drop bars on this yeah. episode, man. Yeah. A lot of knowledge that you have yeah. there. Yeah. So we appreciate it. Yeah, no it's problem. Awesome. Thank y'all for having me. And, you know, hopefully I said something that might might reach someone. Oh, oh absolutely. You'll definitely reach somebody, man. Absolutely. I hope that that uh, was accomplished, and I appreciate y'all having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Shout it, out to my homies at Creston. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.